Welcome to The Leading Tone, a podcast that explores all aspects of all types of music. Today, we give some advice on how to get into classical music. I'm Fernando. And I'm Alex, and welcome to The Leading Tone Podcast. So today, we're going to be discussing our first episode of how to get into classical music. And today, we're only going to be focusing on music from the Baroque period, and we'll get a little bit more into that and what it means later. Unlike most of our episodes, we will not be discussing too much of the history behind this music. This episode is meant to introduce you to different kinds of listenings, things that you may have heard before, things that you may not have heard before, but overall just a place where you can get a good start into Baroque music. And we'll eventually do episodes on classical period music and romantic period music and so on and so forth. Fernando, do you want to talk about Baroque music a little bit more? Yeah, so Baroque actually is just a term that's derived from this Portuguese word Baroco, meaning misshapen pearl. It was actually kind of a negative description that the classical period musicians coined for the previous period, which became the known as the Baroque period. Kind of a negative term, but we kind of use it proudly now for the Baroque period. Anyways, the Baroque period saw the creation of tonality. Um, That's huge. It's super huge. It's started to standardize things uh, a little bit more. Right. So it allows you to get into more of these advanced concepts like the the orchestra, that which we'll talk about in a second. Right. And uh, all of that comes uh, comes together with all of this really elaborate or more elaborate musical ornamentation, changes in musical notation, developments uh, with new instrumental playing techniques, uh, expanded size, range, and complexity of instrumental performance, and also just the establishment of these new genres, opera, cantatas, oratorios, concerti, sonatas, all of these musical genres that were new for the time and very trendy. Wow, that's that's a mouthful. That's a, that's a lot. And <laughs> I feel like that... A lot of times in the umbrella of music history, at least to the layman, we attribute a lot of this to the time of Mozart in the classical period. But the Baroque period really was much more important, I think, in the scope of things. (laughs) Yeah, without the Baroque period, you don't get Mozart, right? Right. Because they needed to start somewhere. And this is kind of the start of the standardization of music and how we would come to know music with the terms and the notation and all of that kind of thing. Right. So, I mean, that's huge for us, especially in the realm of academic music. There's a reason why we spend so much time studying this music. So that's a little bit of a background on the Baroque period. We'll probably do a more in-depth deep dive on Baroque music in general, but today we just want to listen and talk about some music that we really love and think you would really love too. So let's jump in. Yeah, so the first composer on our list, the first two we're actually not going to have audio uh, clips or uh, excerpts to listen to, but first one is Claudio Monteverdi. He is famous for his opera Orfeo, also for his madrigals. He's uh, an Italian composer, a really great example of early Baroque music, because that's really the start of transitioning from the Renaissance period. He has a lot of music that is very uh, expressive, actually. It's very similar to the Romantic period. The thing that they would use to get across these expressions is word painting Mm -hmm. uh, or text painting, and they would do these fun little, almost like little hidden gems in the score sometimes where you don't notice it in current day we don't notice it especially if you don't speak italian right Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's in the score and uh and it's also sung and at the time they understood these expressions and it was very clear the intent and the 
imagery that it was giving off. Right, yeah, and it's interesting because the first work that we studied in my opera literature course was Monteverdi's Orfeo. So I think that that alone, I think that it's a, his music is a good starting place when you're talking about the history of opera. At least, like Fernando said, it is surprisingly romantic sounding in, in some ways. There are some things that when I really paid attention and listened to, I was like, whoa, okay, this is actually way more romantic than I thought it was going to be. So some glimpses of that there. Next, we have Jean-Baptiste Lully, French composer. Uh, yeah, we won't be listening to any music by him, but we did want to mention these two because they're good representatives of the early Baroque period. But we're a little bit more interested in the mid to late Baroque period, which I think let's go ahead and talk about Dietrich Buxtehude, Danish right. and German composer. Yes, Danish and German. Uh, very, very famous for his organ music. And so we do have an example of that. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't find a actual recording of somebody playing the organ. But uh, we're going to use uh, just a MIDI sample that I've transcribed out so that you can get a feel for it. Uh, it does sound relatively okay. Uh, <laughs> Close to the organ. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it does sound okay. And I think we're going to be, um, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at how dissonant it can sound at some points. Right. It's not the typical thing that you would expect from the Baroque period, probably. So I think it's a really fun piece. And it's actually the first thing I found by Buxtehuda, And it's it's really quite a treat. So this is the Pasacalia in D minor by Dietrich Buxtehuda. <laughs> That was Buxtehude's Pasacalia in D minor, a really great example of organ music in the Baroque period. And I don't really even remember how I stumbled upon this piece, but once I heard it for the first time on just a YouTube video, I was immediately so engaged and so drawn in by this simple one instrument playing this really big sound, but simple chords, simple harmonies for right. the most part. Uh, it was really, um, I was really entranced by it. So it's really just great writing, honestly. Yeah. I mean, there's the the voice leading is impeccable, and it it gives you everything you want from a baroque period organ piece. And man, I really want to hear this live. And I wish we had um, a non MIDI recording to show you. But even from the MIDI recording, I think you can hear just how impactful and emotional this work actually sounds I think, mm. that, I think that's really really a great quality about this work for sure so if you're into that you might like uh german baroque organ music maybe uh but we're gonna keep moving on so next uh chronologically we have henry purcell uh british english specifically and he is very famous for his opera dido and Aeneas, as well as the music for the funeral of queen mary uh, but today we're going to talk about a piece that's a little lesser known. You might know it from a different work, uh, but we're going to talk about and we're going to listen to Abdelazer, uh, specifically the Rondeau, which is used in Benjamin Britten's Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. Right, it's the main theme. <laughs> right, it's the main theme that he uh, works upon. 
Uh, and so we're going to hear a little bit of that. So let's take a listen. was just a snippet of Henry Purcell's Abdelazer, specifically the Rondeau. Uh, we started a little bit in the middle of it. You might be familiar with the theme that repeats, also known as the refrain in this Rondeau, like we said from Britain's Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. I think I prefer this version to the to the Young Person's Guide. Yeah, I think I do too. I mean, the original is a lot of the times better, right? Uh, that applies yeah. for a lot of things. But, <laughs> but the but the young person's guide has become so famous, right? Yet, I feel like this has faded more into obscurity, and I think it's quite sad. Yeah, well, you know, I think it shows that this is such a great work because it helped propel Britain's young person's guide, right? Mm -hmm. So much, and Britain knew what he was doing when he included this. <laughs> yeah, right? he knew this is great music, right? He knew it was great music, and he knew that he could work with it. So that's why. Um, that's, first of all, why it's included in this list, why we think it's a really cool piece. If you like this piece, you might like more of Purcell's music. Yeah, definitely. This this piece alone made Purcell one of my favorite Baroque composers, I think. Right, and it did a lot for establishing form and the English style, because Purcell was kind of the first uh, really important and big English composers. Uh, a lot of composers at the time that were very popular or very um, prolific were French, Italian, or German. Right. And so it's nice to get an, uh, an English representative uh, in this case. And I think that what he did to, take the, to form this English style was kind of take a little bit from everything, right? Everything that was popular, he said, okay, well, I'll take the Rondo form, I'll take some more of uh, like the Italian ornamentation or the Italian playing style for the violins and the other string instruments. Uh, he just was taking a lot from every every popular style. Right. And I think that it, um, I think it really worked out in this piece. Definitely and A shows. lot of his later music. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely a huge fan of this piece. All right, Fernando, do you want to move on to our next composer on the list? Yes, let's go ahead and move on. We're moving on to Antonio Vivaldi. This is the listing we have for you today is really, really interesting because I had not heard this piece until we had done the listening for it. But I think that this one is uh, definitely quite unique. It's his concerto for two cellos in G minor. Let's take a listen. <laughs> Thank you. 
Antonio Vivaldi's Concerto for Two Cellos in G Minor. So, Vivaldi is probably best known for his famous Four Seasons, right? And we, we purposely wanted to avoid playing that today because all of you, no matter what your background, have heard that music before. <laughs> so, something a little bit different from Vivaldi that you might not have heard before, but... Something unique about this one is just the interplay between the two cellos and the harmony between them, I think, is really quite unique and is a good representation of that Baroque style and how this music can be so unique and surprise you in new and different ways that you might not uh, see on the surface because a lot of Baroque music is pretty similar sounding, but there are some gems in here that are just really cleverly written. And I think Vivaldi being a master of string music in particular, this was, this is a standout work for him. Fernando. Yeah. I think like you said, it's a great example of the Baroque style, but also I think even more specifically Vivaldi style, right? Right. (laughs) He has, I think a very unique style within the Baroque period just like all of these composers do. I think every single composer on this list has their own uh, identity and own very characteristic style and sound to all of their music. Right. Uh, And I think that's a big part of why we picked a lot of them. So, um, yeah, I think that it's a great example of that. He also had a couple of recorder concerti, too, that we really wanted to listen to today, especially Fernando. (laughs) Yeah, I, I really do enjoy the recorder concerti and all of Vivaldi's music for recorder. Uh, a lot of people don't think of recorder as, you know, a serious a instrument. instrument. Right, a concert <laughs> instrument, a serious instrument, uh, because they play in elementary school. But, but it, is, it is a very legitimate uh, historical instrument, and it's still played today. There are still professional recorder players, uh, and there are multiple size recorders. It's super impressive to see somebody, even the alto recorder is also... Right. Um, already starting to get there but the tenor recorder you're really stretching out your fingers (laughs) yeah i mean it's quite challenging it's really quite challenging and anyone who thinks recorder is easy or is a elementary school instrument in quotes (laughs) you're wrong (laughs) because if you haven't listened to what was the it was the alto uh recorder concerto that we just listened to yeah that was really really quite spectacular yeah it just really shows off the dexterity uh, that recorder players have to have when they're playing this uh, this type of music, especially of Vivaldi's music, which tends to have a lot of energy, a lot of fast-paced stuff, uh, a lot of fast-paced sections. So if you're interested in this type of music, then check out more of Vivaldi's music for strings or maybe even for recorder. All right, well, let's move on to a German composer, George Philip Telemann. We're going to take a listen to a really unique piece here. This is his Partita in B-flat, the seventh movement, the Allegro movement. Let's take a listen. Philip Telemann's Partita in B-flat, the seventh movement, the Allegro. 
quite a funky piece of Baroque music we've got here. Yeah, this one really <laughs> grooves. And it's funny because when we first heard this one, we were both so taken aback and we, we had to look up other recordings because... I thought it was wrong. Yeah, we, we just thought, <laughs> it, there's no way that Baroque music could be this funky, this groovy, right? But look, I mean, just take a listen to this, right? It's It's got the syncopation that gives it the groove. Right. That really took me aback and was quite surprising for Baroque music. Yeah, but we do think that this is very likely uh, the the correct interpretation or at least uh, correct or similar to what Telemann probably had in mind. Yeah, it's not quite the elegance that you would get with uh, the Purcell, the the Adbelazer, but the, but this, it's a completely different kind of sound in Baroque music. Yeah, very dance-inspired, you know, very... Uh, I think you can still dance to this today. You might look a little silly, but, you know, I still get, you know, I yeah. still move a little bit in my chair. <laughs> yeah, it might be a little bit closer to... Um, to some of the renaissance type influence in there in terms of like mm. the the dance type stuff yeah i can kind of see that yeah but uh definitely still that baroque kind of sound in terms of instrumentation if you made this oboe part a electric guitar solo and a rock song today it would get a standing ovation <laughs> yeah that's very very likely so if you like this one then you'll probably like a lot of telemann's music uh telemann was very popular uh, back in his day, back in his time, he was super popular, so maybe he could become popular once again. <laughs> but we'll find out uh, later, I suppose. But we're going to move on to J.S. Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach. Right, and we've got some cool listening for you guys today. we have two pieces we're going to listen to by J.S. Bach. The first is his violin partita number three, and this is the third movement, Gavotte and Rondo. Let's take a listen. Range for two trumpets. the violin partita number three by J.S. Bach and you might notice that I said violin partita but you heard trumpets that's right this is an arrangement for two trumpets we had to sneak that in there we had to sneak it in a little (laughs) bit uh it was hard to find a good quality recording of the actual violin version the original version for violin so we figured we're trumpet players we might as well uh feature this really incredible performance uh, by these two trumpet Quite players. Quite virtuosic, honestly. I think that either of us would definitely not be able to sight-read this, absolutely, but it's really quite difficult on trumpet, and um, I think that it models the timbre of the violin quite well. Yeah, it gets pretty close, so that's that piece by Bach, but, you know, why do we why do we like this piece specifically? You know, not the not just the performers, but I think this piece is also really representative of a little bit of the ornamentation, a little bit of the... Yes, ornamentation um, is really important here. Right, and then uh, another one that kind of features some of the dance forms, right? A gavotte, uh, which is a dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's starting to 
to get a little bit more groovy, I guess. For <laughs> I mean, this is what this is what they were dancing to back in the the 1600s. Right. Uh, yeah, you couldn't some... imagine it in the clubs today, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> not that that's our scene at all. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. It's this was in the court and such. But anyways, <laughs> I digress. Uh, let's take a, a listen now. We're gonna move on. Still on Bach here because there's so much of Bach's music. Now let's take a listen to Prelude and Fugue in G Major, also by J.S. Bach. That was the Prelude and Fugue in G Major from the Well-Tempered Clavier, Book 1, uh, number 15. And wow, what a blaze of notes, right? <laughs> right just that prelude the alone. Prelude. Yeah. <laughs> then we get into that fugue, and it's just beautiful fugal writing. And Yeah, and that's that's how the entire book, uh, the Well-Tempered Clavier, works. Um, so This is a good representation of it. I it think. is, yeah. It's a really good representation of that, and... Pianists will be very familiar with it, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and this is an important piece historically, too, because it starts to... Uh, this is kind of where tonality really starts to get established and standardized. So that's a big reason why I wanted to include this one, um, but also just because it sounds really nice. Yeah, and I mean, I think we can't not have this list today with how to get into Baroque music. We can't not include JS Box keyboard music. Great point. So other pieces by Bach that we recommend are the Mass in B minor. That one's also really uh, impactful and dramatic and Baroque. And then <laughs> his uh, his cello suites you're probably familiar with. Uh, they get played at weddings a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, very, very popular pieces there. <laughs> yeah. So those, uh, those are other ones to check out. We don't have any recordings of those, unfortunately, but uh, we hope you enjoyed the other ones. And if you did, check out more of Bach's music. Uh, okay, I think we're moving on. All right. Well, next we have George Friedrich Handel, German slash British composer, probably more well known for his British identity, perhaps. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I think so. He uh, he lived in uh, in England for a while after he had moved from Germany, uh, where he had grown up. Yeah, and I say that uh, mainly because one of the listenings on this list, the Zadok the Priest, is used a lot in the British coronation ceremonies. Mm -hmm. So that's what it's most well known for. But first, we're going to take a listen to the opening from Music for the Royal Fireworks by George Friedrich Handel. Let's take a listen.
That was George Friedrich Handel's Music for the Royal Fireworks, the opening from that work. What a great and elegant work from the Baroque period. Just one of my favorite examples of just how great the Baroque orchestra could really, really sound. Not only do you have this beautiful string section, but the soaring brass parts over top, the trumpet. Oh my gosh, so gorgeous. Such a great work. Yeah, it's really grandiose, and I think it perfectly demonstrates or gives you the imagery of the Royal Fireworks, right? right. It's a, a grandiose event. So I think that's a really great one. And it also, uh, while being a great piece of music, it also kind of helps you understand that he's a little bit later and that we've added more instruments to the orchestra right uh, at this point in time. Yeah, you're getting a little bit more of that classical kind of sound in here with some of this. Still mm -hmm. quite baroque, but I think that you're starting to see the development into classical music here. Most definitely. And I think we have one more piece by Handel. Yes, yeah, this is going to be the last piece we're going to listen to today. This is Zadok the Priest, commonly used in coronation activities for the British monarchy. Let's take a listen. Zadok the Priest, commonly used in British coronation ceremonies. What a gorgeous work. Yeah. So elegant and just so graceful. It's not crazy harmonically or anything. It's just great music. Right. Straightforward but beautiful, I think. Uh, and so elegant. So, again, grandiose. I think that's a, a common thread between Music for the Royal Fireworks and Zadok. Um, so a way to end the episode right <laughs> with these two pieces of music right exactly so if you like that big grandiose sound then you might like Handel's music uh, you might also be familiar with Messiah uh, right. his piece that is com you know very commonly played the hallelujah from the end of it is very commonly played oh yeah it's all uh, over the place yeah especially during Christmas time uh, as you'd expect uh, in a lot of churches uh, another Another one is the water music suites. Those are also uh, in the same vein as music for the Royal Fireworks. So you might like that if you like that uh, clip. And another one that I threw in that I really liked uh, that I found in one of my classes uh, or through one of my classes. And that's Fami Combatere from Orlando. 
And I think that that aria is really quite a treat. It's quite light and fun, but it's still very representative of the Baroque period. And it actually originally would have had a castrato singer. And if you don't know what that is, look it up because uh, I don't want to get into that <laughs> right <laughs> no, now. No, but it's it's really, really a great piece of music. Yeah. I mean, I was really, really impressed. And it's quite virtuosic, too. Definitely. Just like all of or most of the music for Castrati was, uh, they were really there to be um, to be virtuosic and to be kind of the showpiece in a lot of cases. Right. That's the only reason why they would do what they did to their bodies so <laughs> <laughs> or get that procedure done. Right. Um, so... Anyways, that's a, a fun little thing that you can still hear, actually. There's a, a good recording with a countertenor singing the, the solo part, and I think that still holds up really well. Uh, obviously not the same, but still really interesting to hear, uh, especially through Handel's music and how he was writing during that time oh, and right. all of that. So that one you get a little bit of an Italian influence, too, which is kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. So what a diverse group of listening that we had today we had so much from all this grand music from Handel to the the Bach and oh my gosh just the Telemann too mm -hmm. right uh, uh, Fernando was saying every time he goes back to uh this Baroque music that Telemann is always one that stands out to him and now I'm thinking I need to do more Telemann listening <laughs> yeah Telemann always just grabs me and I don't know what it is there's always an earworm every time I go back to Telemann so I think I'm drawn most to Purcell and to Handel I think those are my two favorite Baroque composers right and that just shows it's all up to taste you know all of these composers are are great in their own way and they all have their very specific style I think uh, the Purcell and the Handel uh, or Purcell and Handel both have the English style right. compositions. Which is a little bit more of the sound that I'm into. I think that I'm, uh, especially with Elgar, mm -hmm. right? We talked about Elgar last week, and I think that that kind of sound, that, that British sound a appeals to me. And then, not to mention Ray Fawn Williams, of course, but I think Elgar really captures a lot of the the great uniqueness of those British Baroque composers specifically. Right, so... Uh, I think that's all we have for today. We want to keep doing episodes like these. We'd like to kind of keep giving you guys starter packs for different eras of listening, including classical period and romantic period and 20th century as well. But it's pretty tough to find good quality public domain recordings of a lot of these pieces we're really passionate about. I think we got pretty lucky today. We had a really, really good selection but if you come across some good public domain recordings of some of these great works from the classical period or romantic period or 20th century even, be sure to send it our way. We have uh, email, the leading tone podcast at gmail.com and our even our Facebook and Instagram outlet. Please send us some recordings that you'd like to hear on the show and hear us discuss because we always want to listen to more music. Right. So feel free to send us any kind of recordings or music that is in the public domain and is free to use. And I also want to remind you that this is the first episode in an ongoing series. We're going to continue doing this, like Alex said, for each different period. It'll get even harder when we get to 20th century music <laughs> to find good recordings, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Right. You know? Yeah. I think that's going to be it for today. So thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.
Thanks for listening to the Leading Tone Podcast. You can email us at theleadingtonepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on social media at the Leading Tone Podcast with no spaces on Instagram and the Leading Tone Podcast on Facebook. Thanks again and tune in next Monday for more of the Leading Tone Podcast. Thank you.